So I'm, I think many of you already know, but um, I was first uh, drawn to Buddhism a long time ago at a time in my life when four people died in my family within two years, and I also had a newborn. And that level of suffering was um, overwhelming, uh, suffering I couldn't even touch by myself, and that's kind of when my teacher showed up <laughs> and began my uh, study and practice of Buddhism. Um, but I think what sustained me in being practicing all these many years is that I really understood that this teaching of the Buddha is a teaching about um, how to live the truths of the Dharma uh, in our everyday life. And um, so to live that truth means to um, ask the big questions like, what am I doing here? <laughs> and in some way, each time we come here, I think, to practice together on some level, we're asking that kind of question. Like, what's this about? Or what is of ultimate significance in my life? Um, so I've said this before, too, the Dharma, if we receive it with our whole body and mind, is like rain. It saturates our whole being. And in that being saturated, we're given the opportunity to live the truth in every moment or in some moments of our life. Um, so I think a lot of times we're mostly taught that this potential for living this truth is cultivated through our zazen practice, primarily forms of meditation. You know, someone said, through meditation, the mind reveals itself. And so this is how we begin to um, see, um, see ourselves in a way, to begin to see um, how we're holding on to patterns or how we're turning away or what we're clinging on to or what we don't want to face. All of this is sort of revealed to us in our practice and in the letting go and opening and welcoming what we're learning. You know, a fresh moment unfolds and we become so much more than we thought we were. Um, so with this cultivation of our zazen practice, today I want to emphasize more how our practice is cultivated in our daily lives through our sangha life with each other, with other interactions with people, with our life activities. Um, through what arises each moment of engagement in the world. Um, and uh, I guess to begin with, um, I'm, maybe some of you have had this experience too, but I'm really grateful for the years of study and reading koans and listening to Dharma talks and reading poetry that some of this kind of started to live inside my body so that... Um, going through my day or sitting zazen, some pithy mantra phrase would sort of pop up, you know, without my thinking about it, like, let go of what you think you know, which is sort of pop up, and then something would shift inside, or uh, welcome everything that arises, or throw yourself into the treasury of the light, listen for a letter from emptiness, Turn towards what is uncomfortable 
these sort of mon- pithy mantras um, would just come up and would sort of shift and help me enter into and rest in the pivot. We talk about the pivot, which is sort of the doorway that opens when we sit and hold both the conditioned and the unconditioned in our awareness. And this is really how we listen to the activity of the Buddha. Um, But this isn't the whole picture. And recently, I've been thinking a lot more about delusion and how does all of this um, um, transform delusion. And um, I have to confess that a lot of the time, in my daily activities, it's not until later that I realize, oh, my perception of that person really was, you know, sort of like, um, you know, prejudiced or, you know, um, my actions that I just did actually distorted what was going on. Uh, and it's not until later, though, that I realize all of this. So to sort of see through our delusions is not that easy, or at least for me. (laughs) So, but the message I want to share with you, which has really come from Dogen, is that delusion and awakening rise up together. It's not like we're here to sort of end our delusions or, um, you know, cut the cord to our delusions. We're here to understand how delusion and enlightenment actually entwine and work together for our growth. Um, so, I mean, delusion goes so deep. You know, often perception and judgment go hand in hand, even before we know it. Um, in the Platform Sutra, they are called appearances. You know, we, somebody appears and we experience their appearance. And then that becomes a, a form of deciding who that person is. If I see a shabby person, I might think, oh, he must be poor. Like how quickly we come to a conclusion and forget that not knowing is most intimate. Delusion includes our judgment of others, it includes our judgment of ourselves, perspectives that close down. You know, the ego wants to know and make sure that we've got it all fit together and this is how it is. All of these ways of delusion narrow possibility and make it really hard for an unknown self to, to appear. Um, and we know, we've heard this many times, that delusion is really based on two beliefs that we are separate beings and that there is such a thing as a fixed identity. So the truth of our interconnectedness of all beings and the possibility of letting go and allowing an unknown self to emerge is the transformation of delusion. There's a saying, I have a little card in my meditation room, The great raw gem is never polished. The great raw gem is never polished. Norman Fisher says, we can't get rid of our confused minds, how we hurt each other endlessly. Conceptual thought is our culprit, discriminating on false premises, 
stories we make up. We are all tangled up, but plunge into it with love and compassion. We can't escape from delusion. In fact, delusion is the ocean we swim in. So what does this mean to break through our delusion? My teacher always likes to talk about multi-layered reality, like in contrast to how we always try to come to the, well, this is the point, or now I've got it all figured out, or this is the meaning. You know, she says, you know, there are layers and layers and layers of meaning. In fact, there is no bottom. Um, so when we are um, involved in the ocean of our delusion, we can't really just cut the cord. We need to turn towards and dwell with what's happening in such a way that we can go deeper and deeper and deeper. And out of that process, we develop a sense of compassion for ourselves and the world. Um, Dogen says, and I don't know, does, do people here not know who Dogen is? I'm wondering. Uh, Dogen is one of our master teachers from the 1200s, and he says, when we become intimate with our own thinking, feelings, perceptions, impulses, delusions become the earth upon which the moon of enlightenment shines. Dogen says, everyday mind opens the gate of the inner chamber. Um, so any diminishment of self or other is a delusion. Um, but this, this sense of turning towards delusion, I guess it sounds good. It sounds like, oh yeah, I can sit in my zazen and I can see more of you know where I'm holding onto a fixed view or not wanting to look at something. But I think it's kind of hard. <laughs> like even this past week, I was sitting zazen and I had had a kind of uncomfortable interaction with one of my daughters. And suddenly in Zazen, this sort of image of her face just came to me really strongly. And I saw the expression on her face. And I was shocked to realize that I had made a judgment about that, about what she was, what that, what she was expressing. And, you know, it was sort of like, like, I, I don't want to see that. You know, it was like a resistance, and yet it came right there. So to look at it actually was not exactly a relief, but it turned everything back on me. Now, I've got to learn something more about myself here, the self that made the judgment, and, all, and sort of in a way feeling like, you know, the layers are there to be discovered. Um, so this is kind of hard to talk about, and Dogen tries in his fascicle kato, which is, kato means the complicated, but it also means um, entwining vines. And katsu of kato means arrowroot, and to means wisteria. Kato, K-A-T-T-O, means wisteria according to the translation I have, 
because these are vines that are unable to grow on their own. These are vines that can only grow by entwining themselves in other plants. So two vines that entwine in each other are necessary for growth. So Dogen uses this phrase to express something very complicated. He says, the complicated is the truth of reality. It's very direct. The life moment is very direct, but it's complicated. It has this entwining vine between our delusion and enlightenment breaking through. And you know, he's, I guess, trying to contrast this with a sort of traditional understanding that you can cut the vine, you can discover your delusion and then cut it and turn only towards compassion and wisdom and patience um, and understanding. But this isn't what Dogen's offering us. He's offering us to plunge in, to let the delusions open up and express themselves and then life itself can come in with a transformation. Um, so in a way, he's, I think he's saying, um, by staying in this mix somehow, by being able to, to um, dwell in our own delusions, our own suffering, that that really is where the door opens and something bigger can come in. Um, and that this entwining, like we're talking about, is the entwining not just, okay, me, Zazen, Buddha activity. The Buddha activity is our lives together. So the entwining vines are entering into each moment that we are with each other. And um, it's how we are present in that entwining vine that makes all the difference. So what, what I'm trying to say is better said by Rev. Anderson, which is, all good things are done together with all beings. We're entwined. Good cannot be done by any one person. And this is your analogy from last week. Although you row the boat, the boat gives you a ride. This is the realm of mutual creation. When you make a bag lunch and give it to someone who's hungry or take a present to someone who's sick, if you think you're doing this by yourself, you're missing the point. You can't ride a boat by yourself. You need the boat. The boat gives you the ride. And when you think about it, if you're in a boat and you have an oar and you make your effort for your practice and you row the oar, there's a moment where you've stopped rowing and the boat keeps moving. So there's something about being able to dwell with the truth of your own suffering that then sets in motion the boat to move further into your growth, into something um, that's being called for you to give to the world. Um, So, um, I think partly what I'm trying to say is we need not be afraid of our own suffering. 
we need to honor and be patient and be compassionate to whatever we're discovering about ourselves that is difficult, but also that's painful. Because in that turning towards with compassion, the layers of meaning deepen, but also we develop our capacity to be compassionate to other people. So that turning towards our own suffering is an act of kindness that then transforms into acts of kindness to the world. So um, I I have a story I want to tell you, and it's kind of a funny story. (laughs) So it's a series of experiences that I had while I was at the winter intensive. And for me, this experience sort of expresses in a a funny kind of way this interaction between delusion and awakening, the way they're unfolded together in this complicated way that still leaves us in a place of not knowing, and yet um, something transforms and opens along the way. So um, most of you know that Green Gulch Farm is a uh, Zen monastery right by the ocean near Marin. There's an organic farm there, and there's a, a temple, and there's dwellings, and many monks and priests live there full time. And some of us were living there um, for three weeks during the winter. And it was an especially challenging moment to be there because it was during the really extreme weather. And there were flash flooding. There were, you know, winds soaring around. um, Trees were falling, rain pouring, and electricity going off. No heat. I mean, all these things were part of our context. And so that would mean um, we would go to the Zendo and it would be pitch dark. So, so anyway, before I went to Gringo's Farm, of course they tell you that you should wear dark clothing to sit in the Zendo. And I was thinking that wouldn't it be great if I had clogs that I could wear, especially because it's raining, and um, that would be really great to wear my clogs because you have to take them off and put them on a shoe rack before you go into the the vestibule, before you go into the temple. So, um, and I thought, well, that's easy to take my clogs off. I had this whole plan. Uh, But the problem was I only had orange clogs. So, (laughs) So I said to my husband, I think I would like to get some black clogs. So he very generously agreed that he would buy me some black clogs at Nordstrom Rack. And he brought them home like two days before we were going. And um, I said, oh, thank you so much. And I you know, took the shoes and I tried them on. And, and uh, you know, the light was kind of funny. And I said, hmm, in this light they look a little navy blue, but yeah, they're black. And so no thought, took them to Green Gulch Farm. And the first week I wore my black clogs and um, you know, went to the Zendo and it was pitch dark and I put them on the shoe rack, but I didn't pay attention to where I put them. And so after the sit, and there was still a little bit more light now coming in, and we were leaving for a break, and I wasn't sure where my clogs were. So, but I saw some black clogs. I thought, these must be mine. I wore them, went back to my my place where I was living, and uh, I didn't wear them again for another week. And so the the next week, same thing, raining, dark, no no electricity, 
So I walked to the zendo, I put my shoes somewhere on the rack and sitting, and then I came out again, and I just couldn't find my claws. And there was Oscar. Oscar was right there, and I said, Oscar, I can't find my black claws. And Oscar was very nice, and he, he said, oh, here they are. And I said, oh, great, here are my clocks. So meanwhile, there are little monk rooms lined up along the edges. And all of a sudden, Heather opens her monk door. She comes out and she says, oh, I have this blue tape. Let me tape, put a little tape on your clogs so that the next time you'll know where yours are. I thought, oh, well, that, my gosh, was she listening to our conversation or what? But she came and she offered this blue tape. So we put the tape on my clogs, and I thought, wow, great, now I really know my clogs, and so I thanked her very much. And uh, so we had a little conversation, I put my clogs on, and I'm walking into this other area where all the boots are and the cloaks and everything, and I had to get my coat, and I was my, shoe, my feet were in the shoes, and hmm, I feel a little small. Hmm. Wow, they're very black. And uh, so anyway, I you know, was about to leave, and all of a sudden this other woman comes out of another monk door, and she says hello, and she walks, and then she turns around and she says, are those your clogs? And uh, I said, well, I think so. And she said, I've been looking for my black clogs for a whole week, and I can't find them. <laughs> She said, I need to find them. I've been asking everybody because I want to sell them. I don't want to keep them. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. And I looked down, and I thought, well, they're very black, and they're a little tight. Well, they could be your clogs. So she goes back into her place, and she brings out what turned out to be my clogs that she had taken. <laughs> and so, so, um, so anyway... Uh, so then we had this really wonderful time talking to each other and getting to know each other, and I felt like I had gotten a new friend, and we called each other Claude Sisters. I mean, it was like a whole thing. <laughs> so, I mean, I have lots of my own thoughts about what this might say about delusion and enlightenment. I'm just wondering maybe if you had some thoughts. Um, I mean, hello? Um, when I make rainbow, which I'm always very careful to put my shoes <laughs> in exactly the same place every time. Yeah. I pick a spot and try to hold to it. It's a very amusing story, though. I'm sorry? I said that was a very amusing story. Oh. <laughs> well, but already that's important, what you're saying, because... Basically, I was mindless, right? I mean, if you're talking about delusion, that's part of it. I wasn't careful. I wasn't paying attention to where I put my shoes. And, I mean, if you take it as a metaphor in a way, it caused someone else suffering um, by being mindless. Just in that, even that little thing, like where I put my shoes. Um, yeah, very... Yeah, I like that story because it kind of um, illustrates how we process reality. Yeah. You know, we can't 
look at every little detail all the time or we you know, never get out of bed. Yeah. And so, you know, we take snapshots and look at things at a really high level, mm-hmm. which obviously is helpful a lot. But it's also, you know, sometimes our snapshots are wrong, and that's the delusion. And I, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think that's a really good example of that where, you know, clogs, darkish, okay, those are my clogs, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it illustrates that abstraction yeah, of, you know, we're not really looking at the detail rally, we're just kind right. of a, a, an abstraction filter. Right. I, I like that analogy. Thank you. Yeah. And also, I didn't trust my own sense of, hmm, these don't look black when my husband brought me the shoes. You know, I doubted that I my perception was correct. And then I found out later that he on his own decided to buy me blue shoes. You know, so... <laughs> Um, but it's a good thing you weren't mindful, though, because you wouldn't have met your clog sister. Well, well see, that's the complicated. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you know, right. if you had, you know, your your mistakes were, they led to something, you exactly. know. Exactly. And that's maybe that's what's always happening, because we can't ever not be deluded. Um, so, you know, so even the woman who came out and gave me the blue tape, she thought she was really being helpful. But it was all based on the understanding that these were my shoes. So. To to extend the metaphor a little bit, um, it seems like you, that, that, um, that suffering that delusion and the suffering uh, blossomed into something good, actually, yeah. because uh, yeah. because you weren't holding on mm-hmm. to the idea of whose clogs these actually were. No, these must be my clogs. Uh, yeah. I had they're on my feet. Yeah. So um, yeah, so mm-hmm. it, it seems like being open to our delusion opens the pathway. But it's hard to be open to our delusion. I don't like to be open to my delusion. I like my delusion. (laughs) I mean, there's something about it I like. Um, Mostly, I guess I like that it's, uh, that I use it to identify myself as a separate being. Um... Well, yeah, that was the whole thing. I mean, everything that happened was interconnected with everybody else. And, um, you know, if Heather hadn't come out of her door and stopped me and given me my blue tape, then I would have exited the Zendo before the other woman came out of her door. And, you know, we wouldn't have understood that we each had each other's clogs. I mean, so it's just, to me, so, you know, mysterious. You know, mm-hmm. the whole universe is expressing itself, and mm. in, uh, in you're not having put little white dots on the back of your shoes. <laughs> Say that again. Sarah.
you know, we always talk about delusions like they're a bad thing. Mm-hmm. They're not. Mm-hmm. They're what is. Exactly. <laughs> and and so I yeah that that I think is really important. But your story is is the ease with which you let go of one at each mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So that's the real challenge. Mm-hmm. Is moving through that mysteria vine yeah. uh, and, and knowing that this is the delusion and this is another aspect mm. of this delusion and now I have a little more data on this delusion mm. and just you know keep mm. on moving through keep it. On but moving. they're not bad That's I right. mean that is that it, is it, how we perceive the world right. I have no way to not be deluded exactly it's the if we go with it and if we also inquire I mean we, we're learning along the way um, you know, it's life unfolding. Mm. I mean, it's this is the life activity. Um, uh, so I'm going to say something that I forgot what it is. Um, well, oh yes, it's also about um, not trying to be perfect, not thinking we can be perfect. You know, like if I practice, practice, you know, I'm going to, you know, be a great bodhisattva or something like that. Um, but also that it's an idealization to think that we can. And so Heather, who thought these were my shoes and they weren't, and she gave me the blue tape, she did a good thing. You know, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't, it had delusion intertwined in the whole thing. And, and yet something moved forward. The boat kept moving. We put our oars in and the boat kept moving. So... Dave wants to say something. Is there a hand on Zoom? I don't see one. What you said earlier in your talk, uh, Norman, saying that delusion is the ocean we're swimming in, it immediately came to mind that a fish never runs out of water. A bird never runs out of sky. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're uh, that kind of tied that together with Mm -hmm. me and... Mm -hmm. Another thing you said earlier on that kind of uh, brought me back to a point where um, years ago when I was doing affordable housing in San Francisco and uh, we're building in bad neighborhoods, uh, you know, a way to put it, uh, judgmental, but, you know, I think everybody knows what that means, but and we having a community meeting, and uh, a fellow who looked like he lived on the streets was asking very pointed questions, mm-hmm. in which it seemed kind of incongruous, but okay. And then he, after the meeting, he asked if he could meet me at the project site. It's some, you know, and I'm okay. So I meet the guy there in a, a day or two or whatever, and he's wearing a suit and tie. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, he's probably going to that, na- you know, walking around that neighborhood at night. He, you uh-huh. know, didn't want to look prosperous. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, but it, it really kind of. It shook you up because you had formed well, a kind I, I, of I don't know, perception. It, it didn't so much shake me up as open my eyes to. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, to how judgment, you know, to we don't have much choice except to make judgments as to what we see. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, but it's it's important to keep in mind. I think that 
it's delusional. Mm-hmm. To also say not necessarily so. I mean, yeah, yeah have that in the background all the time because we don't really know. And, uh, and every moment we're interacting with each other, all of this is happening. And, you know, to, to see what unfolds because what's happening is also unfolding something at the same time. I think, Simone, did you want to say something? Yeah, I wanted to comment. I don't even know if this is on. But um, in this case, delusion and denial, it kind of comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Like, you didn't deny reality or you didn't deny the illusion in this case, but mm-hmm. I'm an expert denier, so that kind of <laughs> comes to mind. Mm-hmm. And then I also wanted to comment on what you said earlier about turning towards suffering. And I think that's very key, and that it's in, entwined with enlightenment or whatever realization. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes the suffering can overwhelm one, and like we need guidance mm-hmm. to deal with that suffering. Yes. So just right. Right. Certainly and, my and, case. And help. I mean, we're here yeah. for each other, right? I mean, that's. We may not be able to do it alone. Yes. Turning towards suffering so completely. Right. But we don't want to deny it either. Right. And our practice gives us that capacity to to be with, not fall in. Um, Or deny. Or deny. Yes. Right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great talk. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? An early night. Jim asked for an early night. <laughs> <laughs> Not because uh, I would want to cut Dorothy short. But. No, no, I'm, I, I didn't. I just this is just what happened. Well, and also there's a there's this uh, in the story. I'm going to the story. Yeah. So the the motivation, you know, was to uh, you know blend in, right? To yeah, you know, not true. to get the clogs that would not stand that's out, true. you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know that that's something that you know. Uh, it's an interesting thing about Zen practice, you know, is this blending in. It's true. And. Uh, <clears throat> I don't think they would have kicked you out if you'd brought the orange clogs. <laughs> but nevertheless, I understand like this impulse to blend in, and it, and it is, it is part kind of this you know visual expression of non-discrimination, you know, of just like everything the same, nothing, nothing colorful standing out, nothing leaping, you know, no sense objects le- leaping out. And I'm reminded uh, uh, that uh, a story Reb tells once in a while uh, that he, I think it was his first practice period at Tassajara. And um, and uh, anyway, it was the end of the practice period and they were doing some kind of walk afterwards and they were walking in single file. And um, he noticed that the person in front of him was a woman mm-hmm. and it, and he said like it was the first time he thought about that distinction in a long time 
like like he forgot about that distinction. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I think your impulse was good. Get the blue clogs, <laughs> invite disaster. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a whole thing too. What does it mean? You know, because we each are unique beings that are not fixed in, 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 in basically in any way. So however we appear isn't really who we are or who we, I mean, who, who we are moment by moment because we, we change and we're different. So that is always, that's part of the delusion, I guess, whether I'm wearing orange clogs or black, <laughs> it still isn't. Um, revealing, you know, all of who we are. Yeah. Yeah, um, so Jim's uh, Jim's observation made me remember uh, about the, the Zen dictum, if you will, to sort of not not stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, Suzuki Roshi said uh, something like. You know, when you're just, of his students, to his students, when you're just standing around talking to each other and so mm-hmm. forth, I can't see re- who you are. But when you're all sitting oh. in one way, in the form, mm-hmm. then I can see who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's value uh, to to that kind of formalism. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't believe there's anyone who's ever sat at Green Gulch who hasn't lost their shoes sometimes. Uh, And after attending a number of sessions, uh, sashins or, you know, sits at Green Gulch, I have, most of the time, I pay attention to where I put my shoes. Mm -hmm. But it took me a long time. Mm -hmm. And I had to um, participate in the form of having shoes quite similar to other people's mm. before I um, before I thought, oh, let me pay attention to where I'm putting my shoes now, mm. today, mm. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. But I still, but I still put white dots on on the back. So. It seems uh, it seems like the forms really have this um, value, which it takes time to appreciate uh, in surprising, surprising new different ways. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, darling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you all for listening and talking and sharing and um, we're rowing the boat. (laughs) Okay.